You're listening to the She's Unshakable podcast. I'm your host, Fleur Lonsdale, and if you're looking to create incredible courage, resilience, and unshakable belief in yourself, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, I'll be interviewing incredible adventurers, athletes, and entrepreneurs to dig deep into the strategies and tools they use to create unwavering courage and belief so that you can learn how to never give up on your goals and achieve the life of your dreams. I am so excited today because I get to have my good friend Jenny Milton on the podcast and I'm so excited because I've been watching Jenny throughout her journey the past couple of years going from Alaska in a big RV to snow kiting in the mountains to kite surfing and she's just so rad. I am so excited for her to be talking to us today because she is seriously like adrenaline junkie heaven and it's so awesome to watch her and I'm so excited for you guys to learn a little bit about her journey, what she's done, um, how her life rolls and what she can help you guys when it comes to courage and building that resilience as well. So welcome Jenny, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I'm so excited Hi, to have you. Hi. So excited. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you too, Fleur. So uh, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. You are most welcome. Most welcome. So the first thing I always love to ask everyone is what's your morning routine? I feel like your morning routine is going to be a little bit different to some other people's because I do talk to some entrepreneurs and whatnot. But I'd love to know, do you even have a morning routine and what do you do when you wake up? Well, that's a, that's a great question, and, um, you know, that's, that's also a tough question for me because my life changes. I travel a lot, and I, I move through different seasons, so my morning routine uh, changes depending on the season I am and whether I'm living at home or whether I'm, I'm living in an RV or, or what I'm doing. Um, I've just finished my winter season in Australia, so I'll, I'll share my, my morning routine from the Aussie winter <laughs> where I'm uh, living down the mountains um, in Threadbow working as a backcountry guide and running my snow kite school, which I love. Um, so that means I'm going out into the backcountry every day and uh, it's important for me to, to get up early and have time to... Uh, to get, have a great breakfast. That's one of my, you know, most important things I do in the morning. I'll get up and I'll have a, a glass of water and some herbal tea. I'm not a coffee drinker. Uh, I wake up and I just seem to be buzzing already. So uh, nice. no coffee for me. I love uh, lemon and ginger tea. Uh, I love water with some apple cider vinegar in it. And then I cook myself a, a great breakfast. And I think the uh, just cooking breakfast for me in the morning is part of my my relaxation and doing something that's good for me. Um, I, I eat stir-fried vegetables nearly every morning. I'll throw in some veggies, throw in a few egg whites. Um, not a fan of the yellows. I just do the whites and uh, <laughs> maybe throw it on a tortilla with some cheese and a little bit of salsa, avocado. Um, and I'll normally make double. Um, I um, I'll make double so I've got enough for lunch as well. So um, that means I know I'm, I'm eating a good breakfast and I've got something healthy for lunch rather than just eating, uh, you know, processed bars and, yeah. and uh, different things on the mountain or, or snacking on all of my clients' chocolate bars and things that they offer me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> having a great breakfast is important. Um, my day is very, very physical. And I find that if I have a great breakfast, I'm I'm not lacking in energy. I seem to, to get through my day with uh, a sustained amount of energy rather than the uh, highs and lows yeah. that you can get if you're eating um, maybe too much sugar for breakfast or something like that. Yeah, you're so right. When you're out in the mountain as well, it can just take it out of you if you don't have a good proper breakfast. I, I remember those days. <laughs> Yeah, you know, sometimes um, if I haven't got as much time, I've got a, a sneaky little trick that I do. I buy those packets of um, of coleslaw mix oh. at the at the store. Um, I'm really stoked that I can buy it in organic now because I do like to have organic vegetables nice. when I can. Um, and so you just throw the coleslaw mix into the pan. Um, no need to chop veggies. And my coleslaw mix comes with cabbage and carrot and corn and, and some great things in there. Um, crack an egg and I can cook my brekkie 
quite easily in, in just about five minutes or so. Wow, look at you go. <laughs> I would never have had that for breakfast, hey? That's just like so completely the opposite of what I'd have at breakfast, but I love it. It's awesome. Well, that's why I thought I'd share it with you. Yeah. It's something that not everybody does, but it really works for me in having sustained energy through the day. So good. And it's so important to know what actually makes you feel good and what gives you that energy as well. I think that's so important. Well, it's important to get, um, you know, all our veggies and fruits and everything like that. And uh, sometimes it's hard to get those in. So I make sure I, I get them in first thing in the morning. <laughs> first thing. Good stuff. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Love it. Um, so I'd love for you to just share um, with our audience a little bit about yourself, your background. Um, I know there's so much gold that's going to be shared like during our conversation, but I'd love to know just to share a little bit just around what's happened for you in the past couple of years, where you've come from, what sort of made you decide to live the life that you're living now? Wow, that's a big question. I've had an amazing life. I'm uh, really lucky that I was uh, brought into the world by my fantastic mom and dad, who, um, John and Rosie Milton, they <laughs> were sporty people themselves. You know, they uh, had their honeymoon in the snow, they were skiers, and uh, they decided they would open a ski and sports store. Pretty much right before I was born, and uh, so my mum would take me into the ski shop and uh, and have me in the basket under the counter. And so I've I've grown up working in retail and working in in sports stores and and having um, fantastic access to all of the latest sports equipment and um, and of course being introduced to sports when they they first um, sort of hit the shore in Australia and uh, around the world. Um, so I get into sports quite early. Um, my brother and I are super sporty. We're really lucky that we grew up skiing in the winter and my dad was a sailor. So um, our summer holidays would be spent on boats and as we kids got bigger, the boats got bigger until <laughs> they were big enough to go out to sea. And, uh, you know, my dad taught me to sail. He taught me to navigate. And, um, you know, I'm still using all those skills today. That's cool. Yeah, very cool. My brother is amazing. He, uh, Michael Milton, he is one of Australia's um, most awarded and prestigious athletes in the Hall of Fame. Um, he lost his leg to cancer when he was nine, and um, which was was a super hard time in my family's life. Um, but he, after he had his his leg amputated, he got straight back into skiing, uh, skiing on one leg, and has become the world's you know best one-legged skier with multiple medals in Paralympics and uh, he even holds the um, Australian speed skiing record he beat all the two-legged guys so um, you know my brother and I have oh been my into, goodness I know he's amazing he's one of my biggest inspirations and um, so the two of us have been very competitive in our lives you know having um, all this access to, to sports sailing and skiing and sports equipment um, we were always competitive against one another and I think that, you know, pushed me and hopefully I pushed him a little bit too and um, and that made us who we who we are today. Is he older so, than you? No, he's actually two years younger. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's bigger than I am, taller and broad shoulders than, you know, <laughs> his one leg is probably the size of my two. So, <laughs> older than me, but... Uh, but no, I was around two years before him. <laughs> I totally didn't know that, you know. I, I totally didn't know that he was... I didn't even think, because I've heard of his name before, but I didn't even put the two together, and I don't think you've ever mentioned him before. That's so funny. Yeah, you should check out michaelmilton.com. Um, it tells his story. He's got some amazing stories to tell and is uh, very inspirational to That's super uh, anybody cool. who checks out what he's done. Your mum and dad must be stoked to have you guys as kids. <laughs> well, my dad was actually pretty hard on us. Um, he, he, you know, didn't want me to be a ski and a surf bum. You know, he, he wanted a doctor or a lawyer, to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> this, Yeah, that's fair. This is what you know, we were brought up doing. Um, but I think, you know, my dad being hard, hard on us kids um, also, you know, gave us discipline yeah. and, um, and set us up in life to to, um, you know, achieve our goals and fight hard for them. Um, you know, it, although we had access to all this sporting equipment, he never wanted to give us anything. We always had to earn it. We had to work in the store and earn what we wanted out of the store. Yeah. You know, I had to, you know, pay for my own first car. Um, and so I think all of those lessons that he taught me um, 
were really important and they might have heard at the time but I think that that was important yeah it's it's funny hey how like I, I feel like a lot of parents wants to sort of live their life and then they look at their kids and they're like oh but you could do this and this and this and you're like actually I just want to go skiing and surf dad like well, just let me have some fun like you're doing it why shouldn't I do it so funny yeah and, and you know my mom understands and she's she's super sporty as well and um and uh and she's always been very supportive of what I've done and um yeah love a lot awesome wicked so what are you what does your year look like now like, tell us what your, well, I mean, I know, but yeah, tell the audience what your years, pretty much how they roll out. Well, my, my years, so things changed, um, you know, I ended up having my own store uh, called Adrenaline Sports for over 10 years, you know, mum and dad had the ski shop going and, and when um, snowboards and rollerblades and skateboards became popular, we moved them into a smaller store and so I um, I was ran a, a big sports store myself for over 10 years and um I remember standing there in my store with a big screen on the wall watching these um, incredible snowboard movies um, and they were riding up in Alaska and I just was drawn to this and uh, I remember saying to, you know, all my young male staff, uh, I'm going to do that one day and they went, yeah, right, Jen, and that's all I needed to do, somebody give me yeah. a challenge. Yeah. I had said I'm going to do something and I felt like, you know what, Jen, you need to do this. And so uh, for my 30th birthday, I shouted myself a trip to go heli skiing in Alaska. Boom. And that trip changed my life. That really did. That changed my whole life, that, that one trip. Um, I got back from that trip and uh, made the decision to sell Adrenaline Sports. And uh, it took me two years to do that, but I, I, I sold my business and passed it on to somebody else who did a great job running it. And then uh, I sold my house. I sold my sports car. I pretty much sold everything and decided I was going to take 12 months off. I was going to go back to Alaska and I was going to buy an RV and, and drive every road I could in Alaska for 12 months and figure out what I wanted in life and who I really was. And I felt like I needed to, you know, spend some time by myself um, in order to do that, in order to, you know, become friends with myself, to, to like, like myself myself and and spending time so um that was that was an incredible journey um and I of course at the end of the 12 months I I ended up back in Thompson Pass Alaska where I'd gone heli skiing two years beforehand that trip that changed my life and uh and I went heli skiing again and actually uh fell in love with my uh heli ski guide Steve Shum and uh, we started dating at that time and uh, we've been together now for, for 16 years and married for 11. So um, that love story, um, you know, also changed my, my routine in life of spending, um, you know, six months in the States and six months in Australia. Um, we never decided to really just live in one country. We decided to, uh, you know, hopefully have lives in both. So... Um, yeah, my life changed dramatically, um, and uh, that's how I got doing all these things that I'm doing. Man, I just got, like, serious chills <laughs> just listening to that. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my goodness, I really need to go heli skiing in Alaska. I can't believe I haven't done it yet, and I'm 31. Like, what's going on, Lonsdale? Come on, you need to sort it out. Oh, come on, you're only a year behind me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um some of the questions that, you know, we, we talked about um, that we were going to talk about today was something about, um, you know, the scariest things you've ever done. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of scary things in my life, but that was definitely one of the scariest was making the decision to, you know, pull up all of my roots, everything that I'd set up for myself, thinking that this was going to be my life. I had a business, I had a sports car, a house with a pool. I thought this was, you know, what everybody wanted in life and that should have made me happy. Yeah. And it wasn't until I went up to Alaska and saw how other people lived and I was so, you know, inspired by especially the girls up there, oh, my God, Alaska girls rip. And they are tough chicks and they are independent and they, they, yeah, really inspired me to, to, to change my life and, and to become a bit tougher and to, um, 
you know, spend as, as much time up there as I could. Yeah, that's so epic. Um, and that was scary. It's scary to make big changes in your life. Oh, Huge. absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Scary to live in an RV by myself for 12 months driving around the country, um, you know, in remote areas and, you know, uh, driving the Alcan Highway all the way from Seattle to, to Alaska by myself. You know, it takes six days driving and you're, you're miles from anywhere. So, um, yeah, made me toughen up a little. <laughs> <laughs> At least you had a bed in the back there. It wasn't just a car, right? It's a bit, it's a bit nicer. That's right. Oh, it was pretty. I, I must. I must admit, I, I did spend more than I wanted to because I wanted to make sure I had something safe and reliable. Yeah. You know. Anyway. So um, I did have a, a really nice RV, and the plan was to to buy it, spend twelve months in the RV, and then sell it and go back to Australia and and figure out what I was going to do next. But of course, um, I decided that I would keep the RV and store it in Anchorage, Alaska, and go back there every year and. And uh, I had that RV for 12 years until it was very sad the day that I had to part with my beloved RV that I'd had so many adventures in. Oh. Yeah. What happened yeah. to it? Just It just had a time. Yeah, storing it outdoors in Alaska with the snow on, on the roof and harsh environment, you know, yeah. they don't last forever unless you can afford to, to keep them undercover. Yeah, that's fair. So the one that you went in last year, that was just a rented one that wasn't yours? Or did you buy that one? Yeah. So I had mine for 12 years um, and I sold mine now um, four years ago and so every year now um, I rent one. I figured out, you know, the cost of renting an RV um, was relatively cheap um, in comparison to buying one and storing it again and registering it and dealing with all of that and I found this great place in Anchorage um, to rent RVs really cheaply, you know, you can pay $100 a day and that's your accommodation, that's your transport, you've got, you know... um, a few luxuries. You can't have running water in the winter time, which is something um, some people haven't ever dealt with before. But um, I can give you some tips. Lots of wipes. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, goodness! Love yeah, it. Yeah. So, um, so renting RV is a great way to do it. And uh, when I'm bringing groups of people up to Alaska, um, I encourage them to to take the RV option. It makes for a really fun adventure and you can uh, sleep in the mountains then away from the yeah. away from the city you know see the northern lights and wake up and you're already in the mountains you don't need to drive every day that's what you want hey that's what I like anyway. yeah absolutely buddy but, but I, I do love it and it's um probably from my sailing background you know it's kind of like a land yacht yeah in a small space organized and um but you've got everything with you yeah and uh yeah Love camera and life, eh? So good. Um, and in the summer times, you're just kiting around, doing um, your comps so I and just stuff. My winter season, and uh, that's where I, I work. You know, three, four jobs, and work really hard to save money up so that then I can have a bit of time to uh, have a few adventures. You know, um, which is definitely what I'm into. I'm always planning my next my next adventure, and um, I'm currently spending some time on the ocean here in Australia. It's a beautiful day outside. The water's turquoise and I'm at the beach. It feels really good to um, balance my life um, with some beach time, to balance out the mountain time. Um, That makes, that makes me feel good. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm teaching some kite surfing lessons right now and, uh, and planning all my next adventures. Good times. Yeah. Which I'd love to tell you um, about a few things that I'm, I'm planning. Um, I'm really enjoying my, my snow kite racing. Yeah. Um, I've been competing in kite surfing and snow kite racing for quite a while. And uh, last year I did uh, the biggest snow kite race that I'd ever done. In fact, it's the biggest snow kite race in the world. It's called the Red Bull Ragnarok. Oh, yeah, I remember. It's incredible. It's a, it's a race of endurance. It is so tough. It is the toughest thing I've probably ever done in my life in terms of endurance. It's a five-hour race that uh, you complete five laps in five hours, um, which is 150 kilometers. Oof. And uh, there were 250 kites on the start line last year, but there can be up to wow. 350 kites. So, oh, my goodness, trying not to get tangled. Tangled on the start line is the first thing you need to worry about. Um, but it's it's so exciting and it's so amazing to to be um, in Norway with just so many other people who love snow kiting. 
you know, it's quite a small sport, so there's normally small groups here and there, but uh, to have that many of us together was uh, was was really great. Um, and it was, uh, I've set myself the goal of going back again this year. I was uh, super stoked that I, I came second place in the women's ski division behind yeah. Steph Bridge last year. The superstar, Steph Bridge, she's amazing. Um, and uh, her win was well-deserved. She made some really clever moves. I, made, I learned a lot from her. And um, that was her fifth win in a row and also the first time that a female had ever completed the full five laps. Wow, in the time really? Of hours. Yeah, most pe- some people only complete one lap in five hours. It is a tough, tough race, wow. both physically wow. and mentally. That's crazy, yeah, hey. That's awesome though. Yeah, yeah crazy, you know. Um, so it's a, a five-lap race and you're not told where the course is until the morning of the race at the briefing. They'll put it up on the screen and you need to look at that map and uh, put it into your memory bank or put it into your GPS yeah, right. and figure out with the wind direction the best way of, of getting to those marks, you know, different different angles. So, you know, I'm using all my sailing skills. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm using all the navigation skills that my dad taught me of how to read maps. And um, I use the old school method. I have it in my memory bank. And uh, and that worked out really well because uh, there was a bit of a misprint on the GPS coordinates and everybody who used a GPS went the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gold. That's awesome. To use natural navigation as well, be very observant and looking around. Um, but uh, I had a, uh, a bit of a mentor here in, uh, at home here on the coast in Australia, um, James, and he came up with the most wonderful mental strategy for me to achieve this race. We talked mm-hmm. about how hard it was going to be and, and how it's going to get really painful, you know, the last few laps as the time goes over and what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink. And his mental strategy was just genius. Oh, my goodness. He said... I told him about what I was doing. He came back the next day. He goes, Jen, I've got a great idea. <laughs> how about how about you do, um, you know, have a think about I want you to choose five people and I want you to do a lap for, you know, each of them. And I want one of the people, oh, nice. people to be your brother because I know he inspires you so much and I want one of the laps to be for you. And you can choose the other three and you need to figure out what order you want to do them in. So he got me thinking, you know, he put it, put it into my mind and I went away and I went, huh, that's really cool. So uh, lap one I did for my dad, of course. Um, my dad passed a few years ago and, and uh, I, I wanted to do that first lap for him, um, you know, and, yeah. and thank him um, for teaching me to navigate, how to ski, how to sail, because those were all, all the ingredients I needed to to use in that first lap because the yeah. first lap you've got to figure out where the marks are. You can't see them. They may be over mountain ranges. So you've got to, um, you know, it's all about navigation really for the first lap. Um, the second lap I did for my, my great girlfriend, Laura Green, um, who's super special to me. She's been my girlfriend that I kite with in the big cold waves in Oregon. She's an avalanche professional. She's one of those women that I, I, I really look up to and unfortunately in, in December last year um, she she drowned in a windsurfing accident oh, um, no. in Wood River so that was that was super sad um, and so I wanted to do lap two for her and at um, the start of lap two the wind died and everyone's kites were falling oh, out no. of the sky and as I put my skis on my shoulder and I started you know walking to try and get to an area where I knew there'd be better wind flow um, I looked up at the sky and I said, Laura, I said, send me some wind, girl. Send me some wind. And sure enough. Yes. Yes, I felt it. It was it was quite a spiritual moment um, to, to speak to her and for her to answer. Um, That's amazing, hey? So, lap two was for her. Oh, sorry, a couple of tears there. Um, lap number three, of course, uh, I figured out my navigation by this stage. I've done two laps. I've seen where other people are going and kind of improved my route on the second lap. So the third lap, I was like, okay, I know my route. I need to go as fast as I can. I'm doing this lap for my brother. He's Australia's fastest skier. He's one of the fastest, you know, men alive. And I, I just uh, hoped that some of that race blood ran in, um, ran in my blood too. So um, lap number three was for Michael and I thought about all the great things he'd achieved 
on that lap and um, and I was really stoked to, to be in Milton. Made me proud. Um, lap four, that was the hardest one actually, was to decide who was going to do lap four for. And um, I'd actually been skiing in Montana at Bridge Bowl and I, I just was having a bad day, one of those days where you're just a little, little on the sad side and, you know, things aren't, you know, um, at full speed. And I decided I'd, I'd go to the bar and have a beer, as any Aussie girl does. And <laughs> another lady at the bar who was having a beer by herself, and we turned around and we started chatting and and I uh, started telling her that, you know, about my, my goal of going to Norway to compete in this Ragnarok race and she she was fascinated and just, you know, loved hearing about it. And then she told me um, that her son had suffered from depression and he'd actually, you know, committed suicide the week before. And mm. uh, for me to be looking in the eyes of a mother who had just lost her son was a very touching moment. And it made me decide um, that lap four was going to be for people with depression. <laughs> It's something that, you know, I've suffered from in the past. Um, some of my family has, a lot of friends have, and, and I've lost some friends. And so that number four was for people who have suffered or are suffering from depression. And this was perfect because my legs were starting to hurt by lap four. It was getting really yeah, hard. And my, my legs were getting sore and I thought, oh, I've got a bit of pain. I went, you know, the pain in my legs is nothing to the pain that that, that mother um, who lost her son has, yeah. you know, and yeah, this is hard, but this is nothing in comparison to living with depression or having your loved one suffering from depression and, and feeling like you can't do anything to help them. Um, so I, I really wanted to, you know, give back um, to those people and, and do something and think about them. Um, and that was that was perfect. That, that got me through my fourth lap. It's beautiful. Um, which was pretty exciting. And lap five was for me um I, I left myself till last um as we do sometimes but um I really felt like okay this one's for me you know I'd said my thank yous to some special people and um and this one it's time for do it for me and um uh it got really hard on this lap I'd bitten the um valve off my camelback Ooh. and I'd lost all my water oh no um, so I was getting really dehydrated um my mouth was pasty. I couldn't suck my little lollies that I had. I couldn't eat any food. Nothing would go down. I couldn't swallow. Oh, wow. Um, and I knew I was getting super dehydrated. Now, um, this mentor, James, had told me he had one more special piece of advice for me, which I didn't actually like when he told me. <laughs> he said, Jenny, on your last lap, I want you to grab a Red Bull. And I went, what? <laughs> I don't drink sugar. I don't do caffeine. I don't get do that, that out of my stuff. face. <laughs> right? Um, and he said, you know, you're going to need something for that last lap, yeah. something to give you a bit of a turbo boost. And I'd said, no, 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 no. <laughs> and the whole time, and all of a sudden, I was forced to drink something. <laughs> and so. Um, yeah, so that last lap, I grabbed a Red Bull and uh, managed to get about half of it down. And, and sure enough, that was the turbo boost I needed to keep me going. And um, and uh, I made it to the five-hour mark, but I didn't quite make it to that finish line for the oh. five laps. So close. But, you know, at that point, did I feel sad that I didn't make it? No, no. I felt proud. Yeah, I felt, right. Wow. I'd done well. I didn't know how well I'd done because there were kites everywhere. I didn't even see Steph the whole race. We talked about it later. She never saw me. I never saw her because there's so many different route options you can go. And um, oh, right. she made a really clever move at the end and changed her route. I didn't think about changing my route. There was a wind change and she changed her route, whereas I didn't. And, and that was uh, that was the difference between first and second place. She... Uh, she made it over the line, and she became the first female to ever complete the five laps. So um, that's yeah, awesome, hey? Awesome, go girl! Yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. So um, I am planning on going back and having another go and seeing seeing if I can can uh, do a little bit better. I, I know where I can improve now with my eating and drinking, and um, and um, and definitely you know being able to change my routes and and learning the terrain. So. That's definitely one of um, the most exciting things that is motivating me right now. 
Amazing. That's so exciting. Can't wait to see you next time as well. We'll just have to keep an eye on you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'd love you to. Yeah, it was such an amazing event. So beautiful. I can imagine. I'll be posting some photos soon of some uh, uh, incredible aerial shots of, you know, hundreds of colourful kites in the sky above the snow. It's just just beautiful. So cool. So cool. So much fun. I'm interrupting this podcast to tell you about an amazing brand called Big Blue Boards. These girls have designed specific female kite boards for us slightly lighter and slightly shorter folk who obviously want something better and more suited to them. Now these boards make it easier for us ladies to go upwind, to have fun, to do jumps and basically to progress faster. Now honestly guys, these boards are so stunning. They are so awesome looking. Go check them out at bigblueboards.com where you'll be able to see their new 2020 design and I am offering you a special 10% discount today that you can use at your checkout. You just have to pop in FLIRT10, which is F-L-E-U-R 10, so that you can get your 10% off your brand new spanking board. Honestly, guys, these boards are so awesome and their mission is so cool. All they're trying to do is get as many women out on the water, having fun, progressing and just having a really good time. So go check them out at bigblueboards.com and show them some love and support. Cool. So one of the questions that I like to ask is that obviously as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, whichever way you want to look at it as in general life, (laughs) we all fail at something um, that we're sort of aiming for or something that we're trying to get and we don't quite get there when we want to get there or whatever. Um, I'd love to know a story of when you've failed or fallen down or, you know, done something that hasn't gone quite the way that you wanted to and how you sort of got back up and and kept going you know when I I read that question this morning um and had to think about it that was the toughest one question that that you're going to ask me today um because failure is not a word I use yeah and, and failing is something that I don't focus on so for me to actually remember a time when I failed I have failed to find one. That's good. Because I don't focus on them. And so it made me think about, well, what is failure? What does someone classify as a failure? And I thought, well, in the old days, um, you know, when I was a little bit depressed or or maybe didn't have the confidence that I do today, uh, my failures were from setting unrealistic goals, things that were unachievable and then feeling like you failed because I didn't I didn't get there yeah. when it was unrealistic. So um, I think that was the time in my life when um, fa- failure felt like it was something in my life. But as I've gotten a little older and a little wiser, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I don't quit. I think if you uh, if you quit something, if you give up, then you feel like you failed. And so I think it's really important to figure out a way to take the next step um, in order to get to where you're going. And um, I think I learned that lesson long ago when I was young and I became a ski instructor. And I did all my ski instructor training and they were teaching me to instruct, how to demonstrate and how to teach people. And one of the most amazing things was that you could say something to a group of people and everyone will get it except one person. And then you might need to say the same thing but in a different way, demonstrate something a little differently or say something a little different and then it will click with that person. People people learn differently. And so I think when I have, um, you know, come to a hiccup, and let's talk about kiteboarding now, my favorite sport. When I was learning to kite, um, you get to the stage where you're flying the kite and you get in the water and you're trying to get up on the board. And, man, that was the hardest thing. I just kept trying and trying and, and I kept, you know, landing on my face or, you know, crashing a kite. <laughs> you know that feeling. Stage, <laughs> you know, girl, because you're a kiter too. Yeah. That stage is, is a really hard stage and that's where a lot of people give up. Um, at that point in time and they feel like they've failed but when I got to that stage I went oh my gosh I'm not going anywhere I'm not I'm not progressing how can I how can I get over this hump and progress and that's when I went okay let's take the kite out of the equation 
because I've never really ridden boards much before, and let's go wakeboarding. Let's use the board behind a boat, eliminate the kite, and just work on one of the skills I need to get up. Nice. And, uh, and so I went wakeboarding and practiced getting up on the board and riding that board and finding my balance on that board. And then when I went back and used the kite to tow me, sure enough, bingo, <laughs> I got up and I was riding. Ah, I got over that, that hump where, um, yeah, where it, it could turn to failure if you give up or you can just look for another way to get to where you're going. You might need a different route than when you first started. Love it. I love yeah. that so much. And I think that's something that most people don't really think about so much. They kind of go, well, this is what I've been told to do, so I'm going to do it this way. It's not working for me. It's not working for me. But they don't sort of think, what can I do to change it? Or how can I make it mine? Or what, you know, how can I adapt it? And so many people will just go, nope, doesn't work not going to do that anymore rather than actually asking themselves the question of how can I do it and I think it's such yeah, an important that's, question that's so important especially for women because women um, learn differently and you know I love to teach people to fly kites and I teach kite surfing on the water and I teach a lot of people to snow kite and I change my teaching method when I'm teaching females yeah. you know um, we learn differently we need to build our confidence step by step the men they're happy to learn the hard way and get slammed but you know most of us girls don't <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to learn the hard way let's learn the easy way and 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 step by step and, and feel confident and feel safe with every step along the way and I find you know with that um progression in teaching people to, to kite um it works it works really well um to build confidence you know rather than you know just scaring somebody um because everybody has a a different uh tolerance to fear you know um if you're doing something and it's a bit scary you know do you run away or yeah. do you you know, push through that fear and, and, and conquer that fear and get to the other side and see see what it's really about. Maybe it's not as scary as you originally thought. Yeah, you right. Know, um, when I talk about snow kiting, most people say, oh, aren't I going to be lifted up in the air and land in New Zealand? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, you're going to stay on the ground the whole time and uh, as long as you let go of the bar, just let go of the kind of fall out of the sky and um you know um just teaching people with a trainer kite um i see it a lot that there's definitely a fear there and, and people are taking that step to push past that fear and trusting in in me as their instructor and guide um to you know to, this is safe it's okay give this a shot you might you know you might be surprised and um and so I, I get to, to share that um, skill of, of pushing through fear a lot with people. Um, yeah, cool. Which, which I love. So what would you say, let's say we're talking to a female kite surfer here or snow kiter, either way, and she is, yeah, just whether she's just scared of trying or maybe she's scared of getting in the water that's, maybe different to the the water that she's used to getting in or maybe she wants to try jumping and she's scared of trying how how would you coach someone through that what would you what would you do to help them you know if, uh, pushing through that fear it, it can be tough um yeah. sometimes yeah yeah and sometimes you might need to start a little bit smaller in in an area in your life um that isn't so scary as getting out in the water with a kite board to start to learn to over, overcome fear. Um, <clears throat> it, it, it is a tough one. I find that just trying to make people feel comfortable and, um, and, and telling them all the great things that they're doing, not focusing on the things that they're, they're, they're doing wrong, you know, and that it's okay to do things at different speeds. You know, it's okay to learn slowly. Um, we don't have to be instantly doing it on the same day and and just awarding every step that you make even even just going out there and and setting up your gear and making an attempt to do it rather than sitting at home going oh no I'm too scared or it's too windy or it's too cold or it's too <laughs> something there's a million excuses we can come up with if we look hard enough but just uh getting out there and and giving it a go um I learned my lesson about fear when I went up heliboarding 
that time. Um, for my birthday that I mentioned earlier, I remember on my first heli run, you know, this is what I wanted so bad. I wanted to ride the mountains, you know, in Alaska like I saw these guys doing on the movie. And um, I got to the top and it was the scariest thing ever. I'm looking <laughs> down this huge mountain going, oh, my God, oh, my God, be careful what you thought because it just happened. And now I'm standing on top of this mountain and, and you know, I'm not just talking about it anymore. I'm really doing it. And uh, there came a point when it was my turn to, to drop in and um, I was crying, to be honest with you. I was so scared, but I wanted it so bad. It was a very much an in, internal struggle um, to yes, no, yes, no. Um, but I had no choice. The helicopter was I was going to say, I don't think there was another way of getting down. And, and I remember dropping in um, to this incredible powder snow like I'd never ridden before and doing oh. turns and throwing spray. And I remember I went over the handlebars and landed back on my board and thought, Oh, wow. Someone might have thought that was a trick, but no. Um, <laughs> no, that wasn't a front flip. <laughs> and just bursting into tears and giving my, my guide, uh, Jerry Hance, um, back then uh, a big hug and I was crying and just from the joy that I had, that mm. I'd conquered this fear, I'd done what I'd dreamt about and, and um, that was the most incredible run of my life. And it made me realise that if you do conquer fear and you do, you know, give it a go and push past that, the rewards are huge. Yeah. Right? If I'd given up and, and not done that, I would have missed out on on just the most incredible thing that I've ever done in my life, you know. It was amazing. Yeah. So, um, and then, of course, I did more heli runs and every run you're still scared but, you know, you start, you start, you uh, getting used to it a little bit more and I call it, you know, my fear tolerance. My fear tolerance went yeah. up. Um, I was able to deal with a little bit more fear and um, and be, you know, strong and, and focused and, and clear about it too, um, you know, especially if, it, if it's some, you're doing something that's a little bit dangerous, you know, they're calculated risks. I train hard and I, I work hard to, to make sure that my body and my gear is ready for, yeah. for doing stuff like this. But, um, yeah, it's tough to conquer fears, but just start slowly is, is my suggestion. Yeah, I love that. I think it's so funny. I've been at the top of some, some cool wilds and some... Stuff that most people wouldn't stand on, I, I guess. Like, I didn't, I think I realised that I my fear tolerance was a fair bit higher than most people's when I sort of started skiing with my guy friends. Um, but there's definitely this, this sort of feeling inside your stomach. And I just think, yeah, it's fear, but it's also like excitement. It's full excitement of, oh my God, like this is going to be crazy, you know? And that, that feeling of, you know what, you've just got to be so sure of yourself that you're not going to make a wrong move and that the people that you're with are going to keep you safe and then you're going to be all right. Because as soon as you start thinking, oh, my God, something's going to go wrong, it probably is going to go wrong. And I've definitely done that in the park before and things have gone wrong. <laughs> but when you're in the big mountain, you just don't want to be doing that because it's just you can't you almost can't think that way because you can't. You don't even have the luxury of being able to do that. No, you have to be very strong. And, and you know, I've been skiing uh, big mountains in Alaska for over 16 years now. And um, I've been in on some super big mountains with super, you know, high exposure and consequence. Yeah. If I fell, I would die. Um, and to, to be in a situation like that and to... Um, you know, push through it and, and enjoy your run. You have to be super focused. You need to believe in yourself. And I remember when I was um, had the uh, offer of going to Meteorite Mountain in um, in uh, the Chugach Mountain Range up there. Um, my guide said to me, Jerry said to me, "Are you ready? You know, are you are you good for this?" And I, I looked at him and I said, "Yes." You know, yes, I was ready. Yeah. Um, and I had to be very sure of that. If I'd had any hesitation in my voice, he, he may not have let me go. He needed to know that I was, I was, you know, focused and I was sure I could do this and, um, and, uh, and be confident in the skills that I had. Yeah. So. 
so awesome I love it I'm literally getting tingles down my spine I'm like thinking about skiing this winter and I'm just like oh my gosh that's awesome yeah that's you just so have good. to back up from the peak there and <laughs> dreaming about it <laughs> um so I'd love to know like another one of your scariest moments that you've ever been through oh now that's a good question because I've got I've got a freshie Oh, I've got freshy. a fresh story for you. That, <laughs> Yay. Uh, yeah, one of my scariest moments of my whole life happened in May this year. Um, I was super lucky wow. to have been invited to go up to um, a remote village off the north slope of Alaska, um, up in the Arctic wilderness. And um, uh, my job was to teach um, at the local school, uh, the Inuit kids, to fly kites. I couldn't believe wow. the opportunity that I'd been given. And uh, and uh, uh, the last thing I said was, what's the name of the town? And I, uh, it was called Kaktovik. And I Googled Kaktovik and it was the most remote village I'd ever seen. It was on an island off the North Slope, surrounded by ice, on the Beaufort Sea. And, of course, Beaufort is the wind scale. So, you know, I'm a wind lover and I was going to one of the windiest places in the world. And, uh, <laughs> and also this town um, of, you know, 240 natives. Wow. Um, was uh, a tourist destination in the summertime for polar bears. Oh, mm. And polar bears are super special to me. Um, on that first trip to Alaska, I, it had been one of my goals to see polar bears and I'd gone up to Barrow and uh, gone out with a photographer and seen polar bears in the wild for the first time and uh, taken lots of photos. And, and uh, back then, um, uh, it was a very old camera and, of course, when you tried to download all the digital photos off a stick, um, I lost them all. Oh, and no. That was moment to me to lose all the photos of the polar bears Um, and so all of a sudden I felt like I had another opportunity to possibly see a polar bear so I was pretty excited about that (laughs) and uh, and so I um, you know my girlfriend painted me a a cap with a with a polar bear on it um, which was really cool and I started manifesting my my polar bear you know experience and I thought oh what if I was out there snow kiting and the polar bear was chasing me what would I do and people like oh you could outrun it and I'm like what if the wind flies (laughs) (laughs) I get a lull or something goes wrong Um, and of course I'd, I'd had all these you know hilarious comedy stories of me crashing my kite onto the bear in order to you know get away okay so I don't know if I want to know this story anymore (laughs) (laughs) when I got up to to this um Kaktovik um I got introduced to the other teachers um who were up there teaching at the school and we were all staying in a house together and uh it was incredible we had uh, four dogs with us and they were teaching the kids ski during they were teaching the kids to ski on cross-country skis and uh, we had laser sights um, to do biathlon and uh, and I was teaching them to fly kites but when I arrived and this tends to be a bit of a trend with uh, with me my my good friend the wind tends to follow me everywhere I go and when (laughs) I landed in Kaktovik the next morning we woke up to uh, you know 50 kilometer winds it was Round blizzard. There was just blowing snow, high oh, winds, ouch. and you couldn't see a thing. And there was definitely no way I could take kids outside to fly kites. So for the next three days, we were in this just huge wind storm, which was blowing a lot of the snow away. And um, and so I did most of my teaching um, inside the gymnasium there. We were setting up kites, and I was hanging bars from the basketball hoops, and they were putting on harnesses and hanging and swinging. And and uh, that to some of them, that was a, a conquering fear exercise, um, just to take their feet off the ground and swing above yeah. a you know a mat. Um, I tried. I tried getting fans out and seeing if I could have indoor kite flying inside the gymnasium. <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> but, you know, um, we were having a good time and doing lots of exercise with the kids, which is what what they need. You know, they live quite an isolated life, and uh, it's important for them to be, you know, getting some exercise. Yeah. Um. So about four days into the week, um, the weather was starting to clear. And it was 11 o'clock at night. We'd eaten dinner. And um, someone said, hey, let's go outside and watch the sunset. So you're so far north, the sunset's at midnight up oh there. Oh, my we hadn't goodness. Seen the sunset the whole time we'd been there. 
And so uh, we grabbed the dogs to take them out for a walk. And, um, you know, we'd been told, um, I'd been asking so many questions, you know, where are the polar bears? What, what, you know, where can I see them? What can we do? What can't we do? Yeah. And they have polar bear patrol there. They have these guys on snowmobiles that are carrying two guns in their pack, one with fireworks and one with bullets. And depending on whether it's threatening somebody's life, they'll use a bullet or, or hopefully just the fireworks to scare them off. Um, and so we were told as long as we went out as a group, um, you know, we stayed within the city limits and, and uh, the city limits kind of has a bit of a snow fence around it to stop the build-up of snow because um, it's so windy there. Um, so it's not a fence to keep polar bears out. It has big gaps in it. It's just snow fences that you might have seen around different resorts and places in the world. Yeah. Um, and to stay within the city limits and, and as a group. Um, and the last minute, so I said, hey, Jen, can you grab a trainer kite? I want to fly that thing. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And so... At 11 o'clock at night. This is hilarious. <laughs> we walked out to this area we thought would be good for, for flying the kite. And um, it was beautiful. The sun was setting. We had the dogs there. And I put this kite up in the sky. And, and it's still really windy. Um, but I wouldn't have let the kids fly in that wind. But, um, you know, this um guy wanted to have a go and he was big and strong and and so I was just testing the wind first with the kite and I hadn't been flying for very long and uh the other teachers had backed up behind me to to get out of the wind and um the next thing I know I hear one of them yell bear bear and a, a polar bear comes over the rise from the you know from the snowbank in front of the uh snow fence and is charging Right. Is this behind you or in front of you? Can you see it or is it behind in you? In front of me. I'm looking, I'm looking right at it. It right. was downwind of me. So it would have smelt us and it was it was running towards me. Holy moly. I My instant reaction, my instant reaction without, you know, thinking too much was run. And I let go of the kite bar and I turned around and I started running and I looked and the other three teachers were also running. Um, we'd all reacted the same way. No matter how many posters I'd seen that said don't run, when your, your life is threatened, I ran. Um, and so this bear's coming towards me. And the next thing I know, I fall flat on my face. Oh, my you goodness. Know, I've got my Ugg boots on under my uh, waterproof liners, um, Neos. And so, you know, I didn't have skis on. Uh, I wasn't in running shoes and it was it was steep snow. But the main issue was that I was still attached to my kite. So I had my leash on and as soon as I, I kind of got tension on the kite, um, I fell over. And so... I thought to myself, oh, my God, now I'm on the ground with this bear coming towards me. And he was coming fast. Um, when I'd first set eyes on him, it was probably about, I don't know, 60, 70 metres away. Um, and then when I finally got back up to my feet, he was now about the same distance as my kite. So he was about 20 metres away and still running towards me. Um, the guy behind me had seen me fall over and had now stopped. And he was putting his hands in the air and yelling, you know, hey, 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 which is what we're supposed to do when there's a bear um, coming. And, and I also stood up and started going, hey, hey, hey. But instead of having my hands in the air, I was just trying to get that wrist leash off, get the, the kite off my, my wrist. And uh, the bear's now 10 metres away. It's halfway between my kite and me. And um, I did have a thought go through my head, uh, this could be it. This, this could be it, Jen. Um, and I then got the wrist leash off and the wind caught the kite. The bear saw the kite move out of his peripheral vision, changed his direction and went and chased the kite, then giving me time to, to run away to a, a nearby building. Yeah. So, uh, so that, that kite saved my life. Um, I really believe that the bear wasn't coming to you know, eat me because he was hungry. I think he got really curious of seeing a kite flying in the sky, yeah. um, going backwards and forwards. You know, they're, they're very astute to contrast, you know, looking for seals and, and, and their normal food source. Um, it was curious of the kite. And, of course, you know, when it saw the kite again, it, it went to chase the kite. Um, as, I, as I ran off, I was yelling, polar bear, polar bear. And uh, luckily enough, the building close to us was the power plant and uh, it's manned 24 hours a day and the guy came out and rang Polar Bear Patrol. Um, when Polar Bear Patrol got there, it wasn't threatening my life and they sh shot fireworks to scare it out of the village. And 
yeah, I'd, uh, I'd survived one of the scariest moments of my life. And saved the polar bear as well, because I guess it could have been shot, right? Correct, correct. And, you know, we had to make some pretty big decisions. We decided that, you know, um, it wasn't a, a good idea to teach the kids to fly kites. Um, I would have, you know, it would have been terrible if, um, yeah. you know, I had kids with me. Um, and if, if a kite is going to attract a polar bear, then that's not something that should be done in, in, that, um, in that area. Um, I wanted to go for a snow kite the next day really badly. Um, you know, I was uh, trying to come to terms with with what had happened and, um, of course, just wanted to, to feel good, wanted to find something to feel good and, and, and snow kiting makes me feel good. I wanted to go for a snow kite but, um, you know, made the decision that it wasn't a good idea because if I had attracted another polar bear, um, they, they might have shot it and that was definitely something that I did not want to happen yeah. uh, by any means. So, mm. so uh, yeah, it was, it was a very scary situation. Um, it was really lovely to have all of the kids at the school run up and give me a hug the next day and so happy that I'd survived my, my you know, experience. Um, and, uh, and, of course, I got to hear a lot of the kids talk about their experiences with polar bears. Um, and you know what? They've, they've, they've all had a scary situation. There's polar bears around the village and... Um, they told me that I probably wouldn't see a bear that time of year because the bears are all out on the ice. But uh, when I got up high, I was able to see that the ice pack was actually out. And I spoke to some elders um, there that told me that was the first time ever they've seen open ocean at that time of year. Normally, it's all ice. And so because it's open ocean, the bears are coming into the land. Right, they're looking yeah. for food. They're hungry. And, um, you know, I got to see with my own eyes um, what we see in the documentaries and we see on the news all the time about what is happening up in this Arctic wilderness um, with the, you know, the change in our climate. And, um, yeah, so it was, I feel very lucky and very privileged to have had that opportunity to, to go up there and, um, and to, to, to see how they live and, and what's happening up there. And, um, and I'm glad that uh, I worked out that, you know, flying kites in polar bear areas, um, you know, can, can uh, attract the bears possibly. So I'm glad it was me that went out for the recon mission and figured that out and, uh, and not when I had some kids out there. And you got so, what you wanted, essentially, right? You went there because you wanted to see polar bears and you got to see when it was just a bit closer than you anticipated. <laughs> yes, it was a bit closer than I thought. And, you know, um, and probably a bit bigger as well. Yeah, there were, there were five other Aussies in Kaktovik that week. Um, my friend Tora Bright, um, the amazing Olympic snowboarder, she was up there filming an IMAX movie and their goal was to film polar polar bears and they were going out with the lead guide every night out of the village to all these scary spots it sounded like to, to find bears and uh, when they got back to the village and heard that I'd had the closest encounter um, <laughs> um we were laughing at the cameras went around oh <laughs> man that's crazy it hey? amazing footage how does your um how did your mind sort of get through that how did you get through that sort of initial shock or how long did it take you to sort of calm down from that because I find a lot of people maybe wouldn't be able to really deal with that initial you know kind of oh my gosh maybe this is it maybe this is my time kind of thing um, you know I think that um, what we were talking about before my fear tolerance yeah. is very very high and and you know all that training in in uh, being okay being scared yeah you know um um it definitely helped me. Uh, I'd love to say that was, you know, my first near-death experience, but it's not. I, I have had a couple of close calls in my life, and, and those calls made me really appreciate um, life and how short it is and, and how, um, you know, how thankful every day um, that I get on this this earth and, and um, the wonderful adventures and things that I get to do. I'm very, very, very thankful for that, and I think that... Um, that helped me a lot, just having that experience of, of dealing with near-death experiences in the past, dealing with fear, um, you know, kept a level head. One of the hardest things 
was that um, in this remote village, I, there was very little um, access to the outside world. You know, you were lucky if you could get one bar on a Wi-Fi signal somewhere. Yeah. And um, I was unable to call my husband or my mom um, for about three or four days. So for three or four days I had to, oh, you, you know, poor thing. to myself. And, you know, I really, you know, I was there with, um, you know, the other teachers and they, they were all having to deal with it themselves too. And, and um, we all dealt with it very, very differently. Um, you know, uh, some of the the two teachers that ran off um, that were furthest away and they were able, you know, they lost sight of me, they presumed that I'd been mauled and, and they were they were devastated. Yeah. And and really, you know, um, we all we all struggled to to deal with this situation um, differently, but we were all there to support each other. It wasn't easy. Yeah. Um you know, and there was a bit of tension, um, especially when I wanted to go snow kiting. <laughs> but I understood <laughs> the reason. Got a death <laughs> wish, and she's got a death <laughs> wish. <laughs> um, but um, you know, when I finally did get to to speak to um, you know Steve and and my mum, and I had a few tears. That was the first time I actually had a few tears, and I I let go. Yeah. I'd, I'd I'd stayed stayed strong that whole time and put on a brave face and, and, you know, just dealt with it, um, you know, and, uh, but, you know, I did let my guard down when I, when I had a, a shoulder to cry on that, you know, was, um, somebody who, who understood that yeah. I could, you know, let, let go with. And I think it's important to have people like that in our lives. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. you can feel safe enough to, to let your emotions out. 100%. Rather than just holding them inside and, and being a tough chick, you know. Yeah. You soon figure out that being that tough chick all the time doesn't actually do you that many favours. <laughs> I I like to be a tough chick and I'm proud to, to you know, um, to be a tough chick and to, you know, hopefully be like some of my, my Alaskan girlfriends up there. But I I'm very much a believer in balancing life and, um, yeah. and I think it's important if you're tough sometimes you need to be soft sometimes yeah. and, uh, and, uh, and making sure that we, we spend consciously spend time, um, you know, being soft as well. Yeah, reflecting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I've got one last question for you. Yeah. I'd love to know. What's the best advice that you could give to our listeners from your journey, everything that you've learned already um, on, you know, how they can build their courage and how they can build their resilience? That's a great question. Like one bit of advice. Mm -hmm. I think if I was going to give a piece of advice, I would say go out and have an adventure. <laughs> yes. Think about something you want to do. Something you want to do that makes that little kid in you happy, you know, um, and go out and, and plan that adventure. Look forward to it, that adventure. Um, it'll motivate you to, to get fit for it or to buy the equipment you need or, you know, make sure you've got, you know, all of um, your safety gear with you. You know, just planning the adventure is really fun. And then go out and have an, have an adventure. It's um, great for the body. It's good for the mind. And I also think that um, people who go out and have adventures regularly and spend time in the wilderness areas and, and the beautiful backcountry and places that we have in this world, they're the people that are passionate about our world and our earth and they're the people that want to protect it and look after it. Um, it's something that I've, I've been noticing lately with all the talk of climate change and the people, some people believe it and some people don't and, and I've been like well what, what makes yeah what's the difference between those people and I think the people that get out there and have an adventure get out there and enjoy the wonderful world that we have with the climate that we have today yes it can change so let's just get out there and enjoy every moment of it um, because it I think that's that's good for for everybody yeah I love that thanks that's awesome um <laughs> Well, thanks so much, Han. That was really, really fun and so eye-opening. I can't believe that you've... I'm, I mean, I'm sort of... I've got tingles and I've got a little bit shaky from your stories. But I absolutely love it and it's so cool to hear everything that you've been through. And, and I, no doubt it's going to keep going as well. I can just see you adventuring and adventuring and just keep doing your thing and smashing life. So I'm so excited for you. So excited for your next Ragnarok and 
I can't wait to keep an eye. Hopefully we can maybe have you on in a year's time and see how your journey's been this year and what it's brought for you. Well, thanks so much, Flora. I've been so stoked um, to talk with you today and to share some of these stories. You know, I live quite a, um, you know, uh, a solitude life, you know, and I don't get to tell these stories, um, you know, very often. And it's been great to share them with you. And and I hope that um, your listeners have, uh, have, you know, had some fun hearing hearing these stories and uh, and hopefully I've motivated um, your listeners to go out and have an adventure and, and enjoy life. I, you 100% have. I'd love to know where can they find you? Your Instagram is Adrenogen, am I right? That's right, yes. My nickname's Adrenogen, so you'll find <laughs> me on Instagram Adrenogen or you'll find me on Facebook at uh, Jenny Milton or Adrenogen. And, uh, yeah, send me a message if you'd like to go adventuring with me. I'm always taking groups up to um, Alaska to go snow kiting, and I have a snow kite school here in Australia as well. So if you'd like to go skiing or kiting or kite surfing, send me a message. Um, I'm always looking for people to, to come on adventures with me. Got the right person. Hey. i'll put them in the show notes so that people can link to you as well so um thanks so much han and uh i'll speak to you very soon well i hope you guys love that as much as i do i don't know if you can feel the energy but i have so many tingles down my back and oh it just makes me so excited and i just love the talking about mental strategy picking a different person for every goal was so cool talking a little bit about you know how to get through tough times and not setting yourself unrealistic goals but actually just not quitting and taking one step at a time and I absolutely love that just thinking small and taking small little steps and focusing exactly what you're doing at the time so I hope that you guys love that as much as I did and I'll see you on the next podcast If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and head on over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listener and give us a five-star review. Don't forget to join our free Facebook community called She's Unshakable, where we get to share our tips and tricks and experiences with building courage, resilience, and belief in ourselves. I look forward to meeting you in there.